I am amped to uh, to get started with the podcast, and I say I'm excited every week. It's because I am, because I have super high quality experts on the podcast, and today is no different. Before we get into the conversation with Dr. Amer- uh, Amanda Barrientes, I just have a few housekeeping things. Number one, don't forget to check out the commonsensepodcast.com forward slash resources, because on that page, you will find Micah's library, the books that I read, have read, am reading and are going to read. And I think you should read too, to help you level up your business and take your business to the next level. And if you're an entrepreneur as well, also my goal in doing this podcast is for you to scale and level up. I give you such high quality information on a regular basis so that you can make yourself, uh, add another six figures to your bottom line. So the common sense podcast.com forward slash resources. There are so many business resources there, uh, where you can, uh, uh, rev up your website. You can also uh, try to find more collateral if you have a brick and mortar uh, business, whatever the case is. Um, but uh, don't forget to check out that. Now it's time to get to our conversation. But before we do, I'm Michael Logan. This is the Common Sense Show. You're listening to the Common Sense Show. If you've just started a new business, or if you're just thinking about it, this podcast is for you. Michael Logan has a stellar track record coaching small businesses to achieve six-figure revenue streams. The advice on this show is what has allowed him to have over 15 years of experience as an entrepreneur. Here is your host, Michael Logan. As I mentioned in the open, I have a exciting guest here, Dr. Amanda. I can't say your first name, Dr. Amanda. (laughs) The funny thing is I spent a half an hour trying to figure out your last name, and now I can't say your first name. This is great. (laughs) Your name is simply Amanda, Dr. Amanda Barrientes. Um, She is an NFA, no effing around, and it's she uses the full word. This is because of um, uh, Apple Podcasts. She's a money healer. She calls herself who helps coaches and online entrepreneurs work less and make more using her proprietary NFA money formula. Less money, stress, and more profits. Guaranteed, exclamation point, that means that she's serious. After going from food stamps to building a six-figure business fast, it has become her inspired mission to help a minimum of 5 million entrepreneurs break through their money blocks so that they can build businesses that they love and give them the time, money, and freedom. Start here with Dr. Amanda's book, Blocks profile. We are going to talk about that a little later, and that's going to be in the show notes description. Dr. Amanda Barrientes, welcome to the show. Hey, Micah. Psyched to be here. Can't wait to have a fun conversation. Awesome. So I have a lot of questions, but before, I just want to get to the name first because I I don't know, I travel in in a weird path. No effing (laughs) around. How do you, like, that is... How did you come up with that? Yeah, it's actually a really fun story. Um, when I was in high school, mm-hmm. so it goes way back, my, I, I was on a volleyball team and my dad and I decided, ooh, we want to be on this volleyball team at the rec league. And there only had to be one adult. And I said, dad, you be the adult and I'll get all my friends together and we will beat the adults. And I named right. us team N- NFA. Mm-hmm. And so of course we won. And then all of my athletic teams since were called team NFA. And then one day I was coaching a client and I said, you know, he said to me, 
man, you're like my tough love dad, but you're also really sensitive and it really works well for me. And I said, well, I'm not fucking around about your results. Oh, mm-hmm. sorry. Not effing around about your results. <laughs> and bleep that out. Don't yeah, worry. Sorry about that. <laughs> and he, and I shared this story with someone at a networking event. And then I put it on my bio that I was doing NFA transformation coaching sessions. And then I had gone from food stamps to six figures. And this woman reached out to me and she's like, that is awesome. I love that name. I want you on my podcast. And during the podcast, she was talking about, you know, the cleverness of branding and different things. And so at the end of it, she said, you really need to brand, think about branding your company, that name. And I was like, wow, that would be bold. And I literally stayed up all night thinking about it. Like I couldn't sleep because I just was like, oh my gosh, that sounds really powerful and amazing. But do I have the boldness to go for it and Mm -hmm. rename my company that? And I, in the morning, I just decided I'm going for it. So here it is NFA money out in the world. Well, that's awesome. And I'm glad it is out in the world because you do some amazing things. Um, So let's talk about the beginning. I always like to start at the beginning and end of the end. Is that all right with you? Yeah. Love it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, so in your profile, you say that you went from food stamps to building a six figure business and you did it fast. Let's talk about the, 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 uh, the food stamp piece first. So there you are, uh, having, you have food stamps at the time. Um, obviously you're trying to organize, I'm assuming you're organizing your life. Uh, maybe you can tell that story, uh, when, when you, uh, when you respond, but, um, is it during this process where you try, you're trying to figure out what you're going to do with your life? What was your train of thought like at that particular time? Well, for me, the food stamp piece was really tied into relationships and I was in grad school at the time. So mm-hmm. I was, I had three kids and I was in grad school. So I was working my way to earn my PhD and the grad student instructors don't make very much money. It's like very, very very low pay. And Mm -hmm. so I was maxing out my loans and I had, you know, my working job, working another research job and doing everything I possibly could. But I ended up earlier in my history of grad school, I had left my 15 year marriage, having an affair. My next relationship was not working out. So he was moving out and here I am laying on the floor, crying, looking at this empty basement. And I had spent the day looking in at the time it was Craigslist, like looking in the paper mm-hmm. <laughs> for places to live. And I didn't have enough money to pay for anything. And I was like, right. Oh my God, what am I going to do? I'd been seeing a free counselor and she, you know, recommended you got to go on food stamps. And I had a lot of shame around it because I lived in a very wealthy community. Most of my friends were pretty wealthy and I just felt pretty awful super Mm -hmm. victim mindset really stuck and as I was laying on the floor crying this one night I sat up and I thought I'm the center of my problems like this is me I've got to do something different and so I really decided in that moment I'm willing to do whatever it takes to have a better relationship and change my money reality and Mm -hmm. I didn't know it at the time but what that you know, I didn't know what am I going to do to do that? I don't know, but I'm willing to do whatever it takes. And so I started listening to podcasts because they were free and I could learn on the go. And I was already really busy. So I started listening to podcasts when I was taking my kids to school and in between classes and washing the dishes and everything I started to learn was Mm -hmm. working. You know, my mind started to change and I started to see a different way of thinking and Mm -hmm. feeling and being And I started to even teach from a different perspective and, you know, kind of the, I think the magical way that the universe works at the same time, we had departmental fallout, like national news fallout, where we had professors leaving everyone in the department was very stressed. And I just thought, 
I don't want to be a professor anymore. Like, this Mm -hmm. is not the path that I want to take. I would have to move my kids and the income still is pretty low. And I thought, huh, all of the podcasts I've been listening to are by coaches. And so it really planted that seed of like, hmm, maybe I could be a coach. And so when I graduated, I decided to take the leap and build a business in coaching. And so that first year I went six figures and haven't looked back since. How did you find the strength to engage with material in the place that you were? Like, how did you, um, like, let's say that someone was, is in currently in the position that you were, how did you, uh, well, how did you know where to look if you knew where to look? Um, and, and how did you even muster the strength to, 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 to push through? Like, what did you, you do know, to me that it wasn't a question of the strength because listening to those podcasts was like finding answers that I never knew existed. Mm-hmm. So to me, it wasn't like, Oh, I got to find the strength to do this. It was like, I can't wait to listen to every podcast I possibly can to start mm-hmm. to empower myself because I started to hear things that I hadn't thought of before. And I, my mindset started to change and I just kept following the path you know it was like at first it started with relationship podcasts and I started to change my inner relationship with myself and I started to change my relationship with my ex-husband and the people in my life and all the things and I thought wow this is really working and so for me it just opened the door to oh wow there are actually answers to be empowered you know, like I, up until that point, I really felt like I didn't, I, something was wrong with me and I didn't have the answers and I was broken. And somehow these other people just have these great lives, which was also a fantasy in my mind, because really when you dig into people's lives, you realize people wear a lot of masks. (laughs) That's right. That's exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And so you mentioned something I find interesting, which was that you were existing at this time in a community of wealthy people. So, so you were surrounded by people who appeared to be where you wanted to be. Um, what was it like? Was, was that effect? Did that affect you on a daily basis? Oh yeah. Big time. And, and I would say it affected me in huge ways because of having kids in that situation. Like mm-hmm. my kids had wealthy parent families, you know, they'd go right. over to their friend's house and they have big, huge houses and, you know, big fancy cars and going on trips to Aspen and all these fun things. And I couldn't do any of that. You know, there was one night I sat in the car crying after going to a Boy Scouts meeting because my son wanted to join Boy Scouts Mm -hmm. and I had just gotten divorced and, you know, everyone was talking about the trips to Aspen and all the fun things and the fees. And I was just sitting there going, I can't afford this. So we got in the Mm -hmm. car and I just started crying, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, it was like, oh my God. So I thought about it all the time and my kids did too. It was a very challenging place to be. How did you deal with that? Like, how did you deal with that part of it? Because you, you, you said you talked about having to um, work on yourself. And obviously, part of that is changing your relationships, as you mentioned, with your husband, but you also had to kind of change your relationships with your kids, in the sense of kind of perhaps what they were used to versus where they currently were. How did you how did you do those two things at the same time? lots of crying, counseling, (laughs) coaching. I mean, all kinds of things. I mean, this is the thing. I think people have this fantasy of like, oh, it's going to be an easy one, you know, magic pill fix. It doesn't work that way. It's a process. You know, it Mm -hmm. took time for me to change my way of thinking and being and showing up. It changed everything in my life. You know, my money, my relationships with my kids, my relationships with friends, the way Mm -hmm. that I perceived the entire world. And it didn't happen overnight. You know, it was those moments that really had me 
looking within and going, you know, where's my confidence and am I confident and why am I not confident and how do I develop confidence? Because, you know, ultimately when you have confidence, those situations don't bother you in the same way, but when you feel like you have low self-worth, then those situations feel very overwhelming. And so as I started to listen and read and learn and grow, those things affected me very differently. And I just thought, Hey, I love my life. I don't, I don't need to have that person's life. I'm doing what I need to do from the inside out to change my reality. It is amazing that you learn very quickly who your friends are and who are not your <laughs> friends um, and how, you know, so there's this thing I heard, I, I heard about um, um, in uh, it's called uh, luxury beliefs. Have you heard of this phenomenon? No. Okay. That sounds interesting though. So, uh, you know, back years, many, many years ago, um, you know, people who were wealthy, they used to, um, um, they used to like have things to show that they were prominent in society. They, they, they had the ability to travel the name, the brand name clothing, um, the, the, the television, the electronics, whatever, the, how they engage with the world was very, um, it was very, uh, you know, ex- it was very, out there and environmental is, is what they could had access to. Obviously, the, the good part about capitalism is that it makes these things much cheaper if you just give it enough time. And so now um, people with less money can travel, can have flat screen TVs, can wear clothes, can wear um, what used to be very expensive things at a much cheaper cost uh, presently. And so <clears throat> over, over time, what has happened is people have gone from having, you know, these things as uh, the way to kind of put a marker in the ground to, to, to say that, look at their status in society. And instead, um, now they grab onto uh, things like um, morals and moral superiority. And if I can be more moral than the next person, then this makes me a better person. And if I'm a better person, then I'm better than you. I have more social capital than you do. And what I find ironic is that these are the people who outwardly speak out against things that they don't personally believe in when the chips hit the fan. And so they become like very different people when, you know, they're like people who are quote, their friends are up against hard times and they have to really show you what kind of person that they actually are. So this is like this, there was a white paper that this, um, that this doctor wrote about this and when he was a student and uh, going for his PhD. And um, I, I just found it, I find it very interesting and, and very apropos, especially to the time we're living in now, but also um, in some ways compelling to your story, because I'm sure outwardly on some level, some of these people wanted to show the world that they were like different types of people than they actually were privately with you. Yeah. I mean, I live at the time I lived in Boulder, Colorado, which is one of the wealthiest state you know cities in the U.S. so it was definitely wasn't just status symbols but yes I agree that I I and I definitely had this this perspective of that you know quote-unquote rich people had it all like they had no problems their life was amazing so I was making up all kinds of stories in my mind I love what you're saying it reminds me you know my PhD is in sociology so I'm sure that that was written by a sociologist probably (laughs) (laughs) sounds very sociological you know thinking about status symbols and stigma and and the way that we promote our wealth through uh, 
you know, different symbols of wealth. Mm -hmm. And so we do that all the time and it works, you know, it causes differentiation between different classes of people. Mm -hmm. And so for me as a sociologist, there was a lot of theory being taught to me about how marginalized I was. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm a Brown woman. I was single. I was a first gen college student, like I had all these things working against me. And so, you know, that was in my mind too. So it was so fascinating to go from this sociological perspective of the macro system of oppression and marginalization to coaching, which is like, you have the power within to change your reality. And those are very different mindsets and paradigms. And so it was hugely transformational for me to start thinking in a different way and, and be able to look at all of the different ologies I've learned from and then piece them together in a way that goes, okay, how do you create personal power and then transform the world through your personal power? So your, your micro system affects the macro system. Ologies and isms. That's right. Yeah. It was funny because I was going to say that you were actually, you hit the point right in the head, which obviously I was getting to it, which is that, you know, you go from this to something where you have to kind of grab back control. These are things that will get you fired right now. uh, If we're just being (laughs) honest, you know, just talking about personal responsibility and taking control, especially, especially if you related to a minority community, Um, you know, these are things that the, that the general public do not accept writ large because of isms and ologies. And it's, it's something though, that I, I think that personal coaches like yourself, really do an excellent job with when it comes to leveling people up. Um, is this part of your, your strategy with getting people to change kind of um, their thought process around the environment and, and, and their perception of other people? Like how, mu- how much you do, you, in addition to that question, um, because I'm very curious, how, how much you also deal with the perception of others as well? Well, you can't control what other people think. So it's always starting from yourself. So absolutely. I mean, the whole core foundational paradigm that I work from is that you're in control of your reality, Like NFA is about radical responsibility of going, your thoughts determine your decisions and your actions and your results. And so, you know, I always tell people your outer world is a reflection of your inner world. So if you don't like what you're getting on the outside, you've got to change what's within. Now you can look at that as a micro individualized, and you can also look at it as a community or, you know, societal measure. You know, we get like huge shifts in movements based on the thoughts of the people within that culture or that society. And so it's the same thing, you know, in the, in the individual level. So definitely helping people shift their perception and let go of the worry of what other people think of them. So the only way you can control what other people think of you is by changing your perception of yourself, because usually you're just making up a story about what you think people are perceiving. And until you really tap into understanding what they're thinking and feeling, it's really hard to know. It, it, it constantly surprises me. <laughs> but it, uh, it, yeah. And it, it's not that radical though. Like maybe it's radical today, but like, oh, by the way, you have, you have some personal responsibility in your own life to choose whether you're going to go left or right or straight. Um, you can choose, uh, you know, your habits on a daily basis. You can choose, um, you may not be able to control at the moment, your, your environment, but you can control your effort and kind of the things that you do. And why has this become a controversial issue now? 
you know, it's so not the world I live in. So I don't know what, I, like, I don't even think of it as a controversial issue. I just go, Hey, let's empower the people who are ready to take responsibility. And those that aren't, they'll, they'll be, they'll shift through our change in the way that we think. Like, I don't, you know, I think it's interesting to have those activism approaches where you're pushing and forcing and berating people into submission of thinking what you believe. Like it, it doesn't work, you know? So that's why we have such a powerful divide in belief systems. And in my mind, I just unplug from that. So I'm a very apolitical and I don't engage in the news at all. So I have almost no clue what's going on in the world right now. <laughs> like yes. I, I work with the people I work with on, a, on, a, on the way of going, okay, you can affect yourself and influence your, your pond. And then that has a ripple effect in the world. Instead of waking up in the morning going, I need to know everything about the divide that's going on in the universe. And then it makes you feel miserable and stuck and frustrated and, and filled with doubt and fear. And then you can't help anyone. And right. so I always tell people, empower yourself from your zone of genius and do what you can do to make the biggest impact you can make from the place that feels aligned to you. Yeah. And this isn't a political thing for me. I'm heterodox. Like it's like, yeah, you know, yeah. To, but to me, it is the reality of kind of, you know, sometimes in life, you're going to run into people who have these opposing views. And it, and if you are in a stage of progression, where you are an actual entrepreneur, that conversation can set you back and make you feel like you're doing something wrong. So that's kind of my angle I'm going at. And so I think that I want to attack it at that level, because this is where people who will change will be, they will be at the beginning where they have to, where they have to make positive mindset changes, and there are going to be things that interrupt those changes. And they have to be able to fight those things and go beyond those things to get to no effing around and where they can get to that zone of genius. And, um, and they can, they can function in that way. Um, mm -hmm. And so what is a zone of genius? What does that mean? To you. Zone of genius is when you are living in your fullest potential by doing the things that bring you the most joy. So mm -hmm. it's the things that you spontaneously wake up and want to do, whether anyone's paying you, whether someone's, you know, it's like, there's no have tos, shoulds, ought tos systems that are telling you need to do something. It's you waking up and being like, yes, this is the stuff I love to do and you enhancing that every day. And so the way you discover it is by looking at what you love to do and what brings you the most joy and the most inspiration. And, you know, time just flies by when you're doing it and you go like, oh, this is, this is something I love. And you want to do more and more of that so that you can at some point in your life, live as much as possible in your zone of genius and delegate and automate and drop everything else. So this, this does go into kind of what you just said about unplugging from like news and things like that. Right. So are those some things that <clears throat> maybe habits that people are into right now that they'll have to maybe, maybe not have to, I don't want to use the word have to, but they should look at maybe adopting in order to make this change? You know, it depends. If you're someone who's super into the political world and it's where your zone of genius lies, no, right? Like you might mm -hmm. be someone who wants to impact social change through being a political activist, then that's dive in all the way. But for most people, it's a distraction. And so, yes, I think it's a habit that I would say that the most successful people I know who are really empowered and living fully in their zone of genius, they unplug from anything that's negatively impacting them that they can't control, you yeah. know? And so they go like, what am I going to do every day? Like they get up in the morning and they exercise and they read and they meditate and they journal and they empower themselves so that they can make a difference in the world instead of feeding themselves a whole bunch of negative nonsense that they ha have literally no control over. Yeah. So <clears throat> you call yourself a money healer. There are, I get overtones of relationships issue, relationship issues um, 
in that is is that kind of where you kind of took took that from or derived that from or are working on in that in that well you you are in relationship with money so mm-hmm. you're you have a relationship with money and it affects every other relationship in your life. So your relationship with yourself is a reflection of how much money you have. Your relationship with other people is a reflection of how much money you have. So, you know, and I had a client who called me the money healer. And so I help people heal their relationship to money. And so it's, it's, I like to think of it in that way, that the way that you think about money is going to affect every area of your life because every decision we make is a money decision and we have money in our world every single day. And so it's one of the easiest ways that I can work with people to see their unconscious blocks mm-hmm. because it's such an outer manifestation of their inner world. Why is there such a stigma around a person who is pursuing money or financial things as a way to achieve financial freedom and things like that? There, there is this thing where like, if you're pursuing this, this is wrong. You, you're kind of, it's, it's ironic that you're shamed for pursuing it and you're shamed for not having it. So what yeah. the heck, what the heck, <laughs> like we're yeah. all. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's money blocks, right? So my money blocks profile that you were talking about at the beginning, it's, there's three main money blocks. Money is bad. Money is scarce and money causes stress. And underneath these, there's a whole bunch of different beliefs, especially specific to entrepreneurs. I mean, it's specific to everybody, but the ones that I categorize are for entrepreneurs. And exactly like you're saying, it's like, (laughs) it made me think of this story. I had a client who, you know, she was on the airplane and she wanted to bring this book that we were reading in a mastermind. And she felt she, she had the self-awareness and the reflective awareness to go like, Oh my God, I'm embarrassed bringing this book on the plane. Cause it was, mm. it was about my, making money. Right. And she thought like, people are going to judge me because I, I'm in pursuit of making money. Mm-hmm. And, you know, last night on my mastermind, we were doing a money mindset meditation. And uh, one of the students in there said, Oh, it feels con- contradictory to have meditation as the spiritual pursuit and money they seem contradictory. So, you know, brought up great conversation, of course, there's this, there's a lot of beliefs that are negative about money. I mean, money produces a lot of shame and doubt Mm -hmm. and fear and uncertainty and jealousy and resentment. And it doesn't Mm -hmm. matter the amount that you have because all of those things exist in the money world. And so those money blocks cause us to want to pursue it, but then unconsciously feel scared to pursue it because we might not be liked. People might think we're greedy or selfish or bad, or it's not spiritual to make that much money. But then, you know, we see people who make a lot of money and we're jealous of them. And so there's so many, I call them competing commitments. So it's Mm -hmm. when you're unconscious and your conscious are battling against each other Mm -hmm. and your unconscious is always going to win because it's 95% of you. So whatever you believe about money unconsciously is going to win over what you think you want about money or what you want to do with money. That's fascinating, isn't it? Like we, we, I guess we could turn anything into a moral issue, but people kind of moralize money and, but what they don't, but so why sit, it's like, but that also goes for people who don't have it. Right. Because like the money, the money piece only in my mind is amplifier. So it just, it makes you more of who you are and the less you have it, it makes you maybe less of who you could become. And, 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 but it doesn't make you, for instance, less greedy because so you can be poor and be greedy and materialistic. And right. And you you can be rich and humble and actually um, pretty, you know, pretty down to earth and be able to relate to people and be someone that someone wants to be around, but people have like caused this issue to kind of crisscross. And now here we are like, 
oh, everything is, you have money, you're bad. You don't have money, you're good. And then that, and then that continual categorizing of people automatically, like you said, to your point, like it puts people like they have to overcome themselves first before they can overcome those other like external things uh, surrounding. Yeah. Surrounding, yeah. Surrounding. Yeah. It's, it's amazing to, to hear the repetitive thoughts that people have about money and go, they're all the same, you know, like exactly mm-hmm. like you're saying people will justify when they don't have a lot of money, they'll say, you know, it's like, it's better to be humble. But then mm-hmm. when they have a lot of money, they'll justify like, Oh, I'm rewarded because I'm, <laughs> you know, it, it's just, I'm righteous, you know? So it's like, it's wild to watch the the roller coaster ride of money beliefs and how we reframe ourselves through our money and in relationship to money and relative to other people. So we're always mm-hmm. comparing like, do you have more money than me? Do I think you have more money than me? Does that mean you're happier? Does it mean that you're more valuable? Like, I mean, right. we just have so many thoughts running around in our mind about money. When I do uh, polls with entrepreneurs, they will say that they spend up to 75% of the day worried about money. And it's, wow. is, are, there, is, are they going to make enough? Is it going to mm. go away? How do they scale? What if the business fails? What if something happens on the outside? What if they become so successful people don't like them? What if mm-hmm. they can't succeed? And they, I mean, it's just like, it goes on and on and on. I do have uh, two more questions, but uh, one of those two questions is what's, what I found and was interesting to me and what I had to kind of deal with is the nerves around success, which is a real thing, right? So yeah. everyone talks about losing money, but I wanted to throw up over the thought that success could actually happen and everything could scale. Yeah. Like, have you ever dealt with that before? Oh yeah. All the time. People have this all the time. What I want to know for you, what, what were you afraid of? Like what, what, you know, as you thought, what if I'm so successful, what fear did that bring up for you? Probably, uh, more, less privacy, um, more exposure and probably I'm sure some feelings around imposter syndrome. Of course, there's that old, you know, yeah. like the, the old maid hate hiding in the closet very frequently. <laughs> Imposter syndrome was like, the more you make it, the less. It, and, and if you don't feel like you're there, but everyone puts you there because of how much money you make, then automatically it's like, well, you know, less challenges expertise. Do I have enough expertise to make the amount of money that I make? Right. Like, yeah. That's a, Am I, yeah. Is it justified? A, yeah, that's exactly yeah. right. Like, you know, and so I think it was, I think it was a lot of that. Um, and then, so it's, it was less of what happens if I fail, because um, they did it, they did, they have studied entrepreneurs and successful entrepreneurs for decades to try to figure out what makes them tick. Um, and the only correlator was at the ability to overcome adversity. That's it. it wasn't mm-hmm. IQ, wasn't anything else. It was the ability to overcome adversity. Yeah. Which is mindset, right? Which is mindset. And yeah. um so, so it never for me was about like, okay, you lose money and I'm afraid to lose money. I've had, I've had plenty of terrible stuff happen um, be, as a result of not having money. But the thing is like the more money you make, the more, the more scared you are to amplify it because it, it's fear of the unknown. It's like in your life, you're going, <laughs> you're, you're crossing the Rubicon, right? <laughs> right to the other yeah, side. Yeah. Well, and sometimes the more you make, the more you have to lose. So it gets, right. it can get scarier. So people will think, oh, money's going to solve all the problems. But then the more they make, it just amplifies the problems that they have in their mind. Right. right. So like you were saying, money is a great amplifier. The way you treat other people in terms of if you're poor or wealthy is 
probably not going to change very much. The way you treat yourself, not going to change very much. So if, if you're making a small amount of money and you feel scared that there's never going to be enough, that's not going to change when you make more. Right. Or if you're making a small amount of money and you're afraid of success, and when you get successful, you'll just up it to the next level of success and go, oh, when I get that much more successful, I'm still afraid of that success. So I always teach from the be, do, have model. Almost everybody thinks that something they're striving for is going to solve the problem. Right. They think like, once I get there, it'll be better. Somehow I'll be happier. I'll be more successful. I'll feel better. I'll have more time to work out. I'll make sure my relationships are going well, whatever it is, mm -hmm. but it doesn't work that way. You got to start with the doing it now. And then the success gets attracted to you and it feels good the whole way. You know, mm -hmm. who wants to make a whole bunch of money and get there and feel like my body's broken down. My relationships aren't working and I'm not happy, which we see right. all the time, you know? Yeah. And so we don't, we're not, I, I love the word when you look at the root of the word wealth, it's the combination of well-being and health. Mm. And, and it doesn't even have anything to do with money. Mm. <laughs> you know, so it's like when we think about building our wealth, I always think about it as a holistic perspective, like your relationships and your money, your fine, your, whatever the financial picture is in, in the bank, uh, your spiritual well-being, your mental health, your all of the things, physical health. Like, right. are you taking care of yourself? Do you love mm. yourself? And so it's it's this, again, it comes back to the relationship with yourself and how empowered you feel. And are you the master of yourself? And yeah. are you dropping that need to try to control everything outside of you? Yeah. And that is interesting because it's like, you know, the more you fight when you're drowning, the, the more you simply sink. And um, there is, there is just these amazing gaps of what actually occurs Um there's these gaps in what occurs on either end of the wealth spectrum. There are the people who are poor, like as you mentioned before, believe something completely different than what people who are, are wealthy believe. And people who are wealthy believe something completely poor, different about the poor um, and, what, and what they actually believe. And uh, the other thing is, too, is that the attitudes are the people, not the money. The money is just a thing. It's, you know, it's just, it will sit there and not spend itself if you just allow it to, you know, it's just a tool. It's, it's it doesn't have a personality. Um, you're the one that, that kind of controls this path. Um, so is your focus when you're dealing with your clients teaching, you don't teach them how to make their businesses better. I assume you teach them how to make themselves better so they can make their businesses better. Is that right? Yes, absolutely. That's the core. I mean, I, I can help people with business strategy, of course, because I've mm -hmm. built a successful business, but I, it always starts with their inner world first, yeah. because once you figure that out, everything gets easier. I, I like to, the, I think the simplest, you know, kind of parallel or analogy to this is like, let's say you go, I want to lose a hundred pounds. Mm -hmm. And you right now you could go into Google and type in how to lose hundred pounds. And there's probably, I would say maybe even in the billions of answers probably. <laughs> and re yeah. resources, right? right? So it's not that there is a lack of resources to do that. It's that your mind is not right to do it. You mm -hmm. haven't made the decision that you're going to do it. Mm -hmm. Same thing in business success. There are unlimited resources about how to build a successful business. So it's not about the lack of resources to find out the strategies to build a successful business. It's that mm -hmm. your mind is not set for success in building a business. And so to me, it's the foundational piece that most entrepreneurs are missing. They always go to all of these strategies and tactics to build a business, but they forget to look at themselves and go, am I aligned to build a business? Where's my money-making mindset? Where's my business mindset? Where, you know, do I have a victim and scarcity mindset or do I have 
an abundance of flow mindset and how am I aligning myself every single day to have my money and business building endeavors be easy. Do you feel like this negative self-talk, this negative self-perception is innate um, from birth and it's ultimately a function in a matter of training and development or is this something that people are just bumping up against in society in general and they're being affected by it on a regular basis and maybe not known to them and uh and they're just responding to it in a way that they perceive as the best way to respond to it it's a great question and i would say a little bit of both so first we are wired for negativity so the negativity biases agreed remember (laughs) negative things eight times more easily than positive Mm -hmm. things and that's built into us for survival so actually you have to train your brain you've got to choose to train your brain in the direction of seeing solutions and dropping fears and uncertainty and doubt Mm -hmm. because you're trained to look for fear and uncertainty and doubt like everywhere you go you're trained you know am i at threat anywhere because we're we are beings who live by the survival mechanism, right? Mm-hmm. That's what our brain is looking for. And so I would say we're born that way. And then let's say we're born in some into some families where they have much more empowered wealth consciousness mindsets, right. or just let's say abundance mindsets. And then we're born, some people are born into families that haven't learned that yet. And right. so that's going to enhance that or it's either way, right? So if you're born into the family that has, you know, let's say scarcity, poverty, consciousness mindset, that's what's going to get downloaded on top of that survival mechanism. So it's just going to get reinforced and become your path of least resistance in your thinking. You know, the other way we go, okay, you're still born with the negativity bias mindset wired into you, but you're born into a family that has some of the tools for wealth consciousness. Mm-hmm. That's going to get downloaded and that, that's going to start to override the poverty consciousness or the scarcity kinds consciousness or the fear and survival threat. So everyone has it. It's an mm-hmm. absolutely normal thing to get afraid. It's how you react or respond to it. So people who are wired in, in, in childhoods, let's say where they don't have a lot of people around them thinking in this more personal growth and development way or solution orientation way, they're going to take longer. And they can, the cool thing about brain research is that you can change your brain pretty quickly, actually. So you can rewire your brain and through habitual practices that just recreate new neural pathways that then become your path of least resistance. So you can go from having scarcity victim mindset to wealth consciousness and empowerment mindset. And it, it just takes a little bit of time and you just need to know the strategies around it. I was in a gas station um, a few years ago and I was, you know, just about to, you know, buy gas and there were a couple of people in line and there was this guy behind me and, you know, we just talking. I don't know why everyone talks to me when I'm in public. Apparently I have one of those faces. Um, and, uh, <laughs> you know, I was like, so it was a Friday. And so he, I was like, so what's going on? And he was just like, oh, you know, I'm just, you know, I just, I got my little, um, what do you say? He said, I got my, oh, he said, I got a couple, you know, today's payday, got my couple of dollars from the man. And now I'm just here trying to put some gas in my car and blah, you know, blah, blah, blah. It was something to that effect. So I said to myself, what, how can you live? How can you have this mindset? where on Friday, you're getting a little drop of something from somebody else. Where does that come from? And why would you allow yourself to feel that? And then if you feel that way, how in the world could you go back on Monday and do it again (laughs) for for another week? Yeah, yeah, which is... 
Yeah, it's your mindset difference, right? Like, I mean, you're an entrepreneur and you're a go-getter and you've been training your brain for a long time, I would imagine, in a totally different way of thinking. Sure. That's, you know, it's pretty common for people to plug into a paycheck and, mm-hmm. and create a prison out of their life and not know a way out. Mm-hmm. Is it that like they're just comfortable? don't know. Are they just comfortable yeah. with the status quo or is it less about comfort and more about ignorance? Well... It's, it's a good question. I, and I would say definitely we get stuck in comfort zone. People don't believe they're comfortable. This is where competing commitments come in again, right? They go, oh, I don't want this life. I don't want to live paycheck to paycheck. But then their unconscious is terrified to do anything else. And it doesn't even look for solutions for a way out of that. It doesn't think that it's even possible, right? Mm-hmm. So if you're surrounded by a whole, this is interesting because in my dissertation research, I worked with incarcerated men and I did life history interviews. Right. So they were on average incarcerated for 18 years and they were gang involved before that. And then, mm-hmm. you know, had spent lots of time in solitary and all these things, lots of trauma in prison. And so I was studying their histories of transformation and it was fascinating to hear their stories because they started to see, I started to see such a patterned way of thinking and it's mm-hmm. environmental. You know, you go like, if you're raised as a 10 year old in a family that's substance addicted, involved in gangs, that's your environment. It seems very normal. Mm-hmm. Like, how would you know anything else? you don't know anything else. Right. And so, you know, you can, you can map that onto the same way of thinking of like, are you in a W2 position where you have limited income potential and you're unhappy and you're barely making ends meet, but that's everyone you hang out with. And that's all you see. What are you going to do unless you decide, oh, there's something different. I see a path to success that I can start taking action on. And that's where you've got to decide wherever level you're at to do something different and to start, you know, that that's that moment of decision where you go, I'm willing to do whatever it takes to shift my reality because there are resources there. You talk you about co- competing mindsets. It's like, okay, you have to first almost recognize what level you're at and be honest with you, like brutally honest what level yeah. you are. And then at the same time, you have to be like, okay, well, I don't want to be at this level anymore, you know, but like recognizing, recognizing your level um, first is almost, this is where it's, I don't know, like if you're on social media, you see people talking or people, people who have been entrepreneurs for many years, but have done nothing. I find this thing where they associate their, their voice in the world um, that they perceive as more impactful than it really is with just their time and doing something when they really haven't moved the needle much. And I wonder if that's because they haven't actually come face to face with their actual reality of where they, where they actually are. They've never accepted it. And, and once you accept where you are, then you can say, holy crap, I am much further away from what I actually am portraying online what I tell people, the advice I give, um, then, um, then I, I feel comfortable being, maybe I should be a lot more, a lot better at the stuff that I talk about than just talking about it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I want to say many things in response to that first. I love that you said the recognize part because my NFA money formula, step number one is recognize. (laughs) I love it. Recognizing your blocks. And Mm -hmm. I say specifically money blocks, but it's, you've got to recognize. So your, your first quest is to become a master of yourself, which means be Mm self-reflective. Where are you know yourself? Mm -hmm. So my definition of confidence is to know, love and trust yourself. And that's, 
if you know, love and trust yourself and you're confident, you recognize when you're blocked, you will take the time every day to go like what's working and what's not working. And, you know, is my business flowing in the way that I want it to? What shifts and adjustments do I need to make? What do I need to drop, automate or delegate? Am I making money? What, you know, you're not, you're not afraid to face it. And so that's the first step. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, it's interesting when you were talking about, you know, entrepreneurs you see who are basically saying one thing and doing another, it's a competing mm-hmm. commitment. I think sometimes it's also a lack of a plan. Like people mm-hmm. don't know what to do. And, and I think this is where information overload sometimes causes analysis paralysis, right. where they go, oh my God, there's, you know, this person says to do this, this person says to do this, this person says to do this, it's all competing and kind of contradictory. And, and then they don't know what to do at all. And so they, the one thing they know is like, I got to get exposure. So they talk on social media, but then they're not actually making money because they have money blocks and they don't have a plan. And so a lot of that starts with recognizing the problem first and going, okay, am I making money in my business? And if I'm not, what is the first step I can do to bring in money fast? You know, so one benefit of starting a business when I was on food stamps was that I was incredibly resourceful. Oh yeah. (laughs) I didn't, I was like, I got to make money fast and I don't have money to build. You know, I was building my own website on WordPress Mm -hmm. and just doing everything like bootstrap style. And so I didn't waste any money. I Mm -hmm. I didn't have the money to waste. And so I see a lot of entrepreneurs throwing money at things, Mm -hmm. thinking that that's going to solve the problem instead of working on what's within. Yeah. It's funny because I was just interviewing someone yesterday and we talked about, we talked about, you know, like everyone complains about, well, maybe older folks complain about this new generation and they have, you know, adjectives to describe this new generation. Um, but one of the, one of the gaps in thinking is I try to fancy myself at least a critical intellectual thinker, which is that is it, it's not necessarily the generation it's a different problem within the generation than the previous generations had. So um, what I, you know, because I had made a comment when I was interviewing him saying, dude, if I had the stuff that we have right now, <laughs> when I first started my business, right? Like the fact that you can Google something, you have the power of the entire, you have, you literally have, to, you never have to get an airplane ever to do anything and to, to know, to, to just to know, right? Uh, like, like you uh, had to before. And um, so information was abundant um, in previous generations like it is today. However, you had to actually manually go and find the information, source it, and you could get you can get all the information before you want it, regardless of what people say. You just had to go search for it and it took a little longer. And now, like in your when you were talking, I was thinking, this is exactly what we talked about yesterday. Um, you have a hundred people telling you the same different things on the same issue. And yeah. so what, what the guest said was that now this generation doesn't have a, uh, an information gathering problem. They have a filtering problem. Mm-hmm. And so how do you correct for, you know, that filtering problem? Because I'm going to use it on this podcast. And if you listen to this all the time, then you know, I'm going to go there too. Thomas soul, one of my favorite writers. Um, he, there's a, there's a quote that he uses. I, I typically always say in the podcast because it's, it always fits, which is it takes an extraordinary amount of um, knowledge to understand the extent of your own ignorance. So that filter, <laughs> that. the filter is like, how the heck do you even get to the point where you have a good filter and you even know what you're supposed to filter out? Cause you could be filtering out good stuff and leaving out bad stuff. Like, how do you, 
Yeah. Music- well, well, and that's FOMO, on right? FOMO comes into that because you go like, oh, I got to do everything or I might miss out on something. I, I love that you're saying this. And it's interesting because it goes back to that question you asked me before we started recording, which was, you know, shifting away from doing my podcast. Right. And I said, I tell people to narrow their focus, to expand their freedom. And that's exactly mm-hmm. what you're talking about right now. Mm-hmm. There is so much on the plate at all points in time that you could, you could literally be busy all day, every day and never make money. Right. Because you're just doing busy work and you're not being strategic around it. And then you're working, working, working really hard. I actually have in my, um, in my journal, uh, a really fun quote that totally relates to this. You can't compensate for a lack of vibrational resonance simply with physical action. You may make all the right moves, but the end result will not be what you're looking for if you are not a vibrational match with the end result you want. It's right, right. I don't know how to say his name. I think it's Ryu Shinohara. Mm -hmm. But in my mind, what the work I do is helping people get in that vibrational frequency of joy in their zone of genius, because then it causes you to automatically filter because you can ask yourself the question, is this related to my zone of genius? And if it's a no, you don't do it. And so you, you start to learn to filter through the things that bring you joy. So I'm constantly asking myself, does this bring me joy? If it doesn't, and it's something that let's say my business needs to scale, mm-hmm. I'll delegate it to somebody else, or I'll figure out a system to automate it. If it's something that isn't essential, I drop it. So I've been, you know, in the practice, and I would say I started my business similarly to what you're saying. It was like, I was watching all the people who had been in business for like 40 years and were crazy mm-hmm. successful. And so I was like, I got to build that. And so I started with everything. And so all I right. actually did like a scaling down process yeah. instead of in terms of scaling down what I was doing and it's made me more money. So yeah. my 2021 focus was work less, make more, have fun. And that mm-hmm. have fun part is make money in your zone of genius, doing what you love. Yeah. And so I've gotten, people need to get really good in this era at doing what I just said, narrow your focus to expand your freedom. So don't think you need to take every single thing on. It actually makes the most sense to narrow your focus, hyper-focus on something that you build the six figures and then look at expanding. You know, most people go like, oh, I'm going to do this and this and this and this. And then they just have this completely scattered energy and a scattered approach and they feel overwhelmed and their Mm -hmm. energy is low and their vibration is low. And then they attract chaos and they don't wonder why they're not breaking through to the next level. This is why we vibe, man. Like, I think I pick up where I would work with the person after you, they finish with you, right? Like, because I do business coaching and I focus on strategy, long-term business, strategic, long-term strategy, business development, that, that kind of stuff. And um, I often get people who come in and they're in this, they have this issue and I created a business stress test with, with the purpose of stressing them out about how many processes and systems they have in place, because oftentimes their processes and systems do not match what they say they actually do for a business. And what I, what I mean by that is that I, I had for instance, I, I had a consultation with someone who's actually coming on board and um, they listen to the podcast, but who cares? Um, and um, they, uh, they were talking about how they wanted to, I said, so what's your business about? The first thing out of their mouth was, oh, I want to do this. And then I said, okay, but we looked at Trent, what they do, where they actually get their money from. It's not where they make their money. It's like, okay, well, you may want to do this <laughs> and your heart may be here, Yeah, but that's not what you do. 
And a, care, a careful observation of what they did revealed that wasn't close to what they did. And it was the exact opposite of the customer that they were trying to go for. And Interesting. we had this conversation and I'm like, well, you need to narrow your focus to something, to your point, that brings you closer to the, to the people who can make you more money because you're already serving them. And only then can you begin to do the things that you want to do because you're in a position to actually have that ability yeah. to do that. But until then, man, you need to learn first who you're serving before you can even move on to anything else. You know, we got to figure this piece out. Yeah, yeah. So good. <laughs> I, I'm curious if you notice, I mean, it sounds like you're working with people who are already established business <clears throat> owners for the most part. So Flat, you know, like uh, there, there are some, it's in some cases, semi-established, um, but to me, that's where the fun is because it's like they're early, they're, yeah. they're early, they're looking to scale. So like I come yeah. in and they're early looking to scale, kind of get them in position to do so. Yeah. Yeah. The, the reason I was saying that is because I've noticed that newer entrepreneurs, it's a discovery process at first. You know, it's like mm -hmm. there's different phases of business development in that first phase. There's a lot. I don't think imposter syndrome necessarily ever goes away, but there's a lot of imposter syndrome at the beginning stages. <laughs> and then there's the the confusion and the scattered right. thinking and the analysis paralysis and the procrastination and all those things yeah. because because there is so much to learn and the, the mm -hmm. learning curve of entrepreneurial endeavors is pretty steep and and there's a lot to focus on if you don't yeah. know how to narrow it mm -hmm. and so I see with people there's a lot of discovery it was with me too you know it was like discovering who do I want to work with what is it that I'm good at doing who is being attracted my way by what I'm putting out in the world. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I see there's a mismatch. And, mm -hmm. you know, in my business, I would say I've gotten better and better at better at creating frameworks that are simple and easy to follow because yep. it's, I've understood that that's what people need more, mm -hmm. you know, and then it, depending on people's background or where they're coming from as well, you tend to bring into entrepreneurship, what you were doing before mm -hmm. and in the systems of that way. So for me in academia, you know, it was a lot of theoretical discussions versus really simple tasks. You know, it's like, here's the simple roadmap in a codified version to help you get from A to Z fast. Right. Like that is not what we do in academia. Mm -hmm. right. <laughs> and so it took a while for me to figure that out and, and turn it into, you know, marketing lingo that people resonate with where they're like, Oh, mm -hmm. you're hitting my pain point. Like I didn't yep. know any of that in the beginning. Yep. So there's a lot of things to learn as you grow a business and you know, that piece in the beginning that you're, to me, what you're talking about is helping people figure out, you know, if they're already in business, what is it that they're good at doing in terms of attracting people their way that people mm -hmm. are already automatically coming to them for, right. is that what they want to scale or do they mm -hmm. need to pivot to something else with the skills they've learned and, and focus on the, what they want, you know, quote unquote want. Yeah. I, you know, it's funny that, um, oh man, like I, we would talk for three hours. Um, so, <laughs> so I have two points. So the first point is that intellectuals have a hard time with being entrepreneurs. Uh, Raise my hand. This is hard. <laughs> Why? It's because, you know, you're like that squirrel from over the hedge that's like squirrel. And then like, it just kind of like goes nuts. Right. <laughs> um, and it's because you have so many broad interests yeah. that you could probably be really good at. If you yeah. applied, if you applied mental energy and focus to any of the hundred areas that pique your interest, um, you would probably be the best in the world at whatever you did because you're smart enough to do it normally and you have broad interest. I love social economics. I love um, 
you know, uh, business strategy. These are my books that I hang that adorn my wall. I also have the the art of war, thirty three strategies of war. But I'm reading the Gulag Archipelago by Alexander Solzhenitsyn. Doesn't make any sense and has nothing to do with business. Um, but you know, at times I've been distracted. I'm like, man, I'm not getting anything done because I, you know, you come over here and you're like, I just want to read this. I want to know this. I want to know this. I like, I don't, I, I'm not going to live long enough to know all these things, yeah. <laughs> but I want to know everything. <laughs> so what I find is really smart people who are intellectual have a, have this, they have, they, they struggle more so with people maybe who are just have this more simple, simple approach to life. Um, yeah. Yeah. They, it, well, I love what you're saying. It's so true. Have you read Gay Hendricks book, The Big Leap? Uh, no, but that was on my list of books to buy. Okay. One of my top 10 in terms of it, it helping me in my transformational world, he's the one who coined the term zone of genius. Mm -hmm. And he talks about different zones. So there's the zone of incompetence. So these are going to be things you're just terrible at. Yeah. The zone of competence where you're like, I'm okay at this. Then there's the zone of excellence. And that's what you're talking about. It's like, you, I could be good at a lot of things. Yeah. I can do right. so many things. It's like, now I know how to build websites. I know. Right. I mean, I, the list is long. Right. Your zone of genius is the next level, you know, right. where you go like, these are the things that I am just like brilliantly excelling at. And most people mm -hmm. live in their zone, you know, let's say intellectuals live in their zone of excellence mm -hmm. and they have a lot of skills and entrepreneurs, people mm -hmm. who are entrepreneurial minded tend to be capable of doing a lot. Mm -hmm. And so that's why they never break, not, not never, but that's why many don't break through to that next level because right. they say they're stuck in that zone of too many things. Yep. And so, and I, yes, it's definitely been something that has been a refining factor for my, for me and my business. And I look at oh, it I like bet. the amount of stuff I've created. Mm -hmm. Wow. I mean, I'm only in my third year of business mm -hmm. and I have created, like, people will be like, wow, how did you do that? You know, and it's right. just like, I'm just like you, I read a lot of books. I mm -hmm. love creating content. I just, mm -hmm. I am prolific in those ways. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh, narrow, 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 narrow <laughs> to get right. to the seven figures. You know, uh -huh. like it, That's right. it's, it's the only way. I have that exact same, we are spirit animals. Um, <laughs> and you're in Colorado. So, you know, many thousands of miles apart, but we're spirit animals in that way. Um, I I've learned, so, you know, you talked about being an academic, I've, I've learned to, that there is utility in a slight academic approach to dealing with in business coaching, dealing with some of these problems for, for instance, having a person define exactly what they mean is, mm -hmm. is something because they say people often say things and don't, they say them undefinably. And like, if I'm coaching someone and they're, they're like, okay, so, okay. So my goal is, is that I want to scale and so I stop define scale. What does scale mean? Uh, to, to scale is, is there are very finite definitions of what it means to scale, but what is you're using this word that you want to scale, but what is scaling mean to you? Like, like let's define scale, yeah. the word scale. And there is this exercise that I put them through making them define everything that they're saying so that they can understand what they mean. And it's like, okay, so you're using this word to define what you want to do, but it's actually this word. And I, you know, not in like a smug way that I know what you, what you're trying to say, but I'm trying to get you, but it's more like, I want you to identify the right principle and concept. Yeah. The idea that you have in place, because, you know, if you use the wrong word, therefore the wrong definition for what you want to do, you're on the wrong path already. And, yeah. and, and, you know, we just have to, to readjust that, but let's start from a common place of understanding 
a mutually defined word. So we know what we're talking yeah. about. Here. It's so powerful. I mean, you're talking about the power of clarity, right? It's like yeah. nebulous thinking. A lot of times people just have these crazy thoughts going on in their mind all the time. And so, you know, I help them similarly, what's the worry, what's the fear, let's name it. Because mm -hmm. then it's pretty quickly when they name it and articulate right. it, they're like, Oh, I can get over that pretty fast. <laughs> but when <laughs> right. you have it just running around your mind, and I love what you're saying, because, you know, if you it's it's that thought of you, if you don't know where you are, how mm -hmm. can you get where you want to go? Mm -hmm. And so defining it by going, where are you? What does scaling mean to you? Mm -hmm. And reverse engineering from that place, because mm -hmm. you have clarity about the destination point completely changes everything. And it, it just speeds up the process. That is the fun part to me, seeing someone's eyes open, like, oh crap. Like, this is like, this is really where I want to be. I had the same issue. And so I, I've went to school for psych um, and quickly realized that there's no money in it. Um, <laughs> unless you write a couple of books, maybe, um, or you're Dr. Phil and you have a good personality, um, and you do forensic <laughs> psychology and, then you, and you, and you know, Oprah. Um, but anyways, <laughs> I, um, so I got in the fitness industry and I have been so for two decades. Um, and it's been a fun ride. I, I've been able to do really incredible things in it. Um, and I, um, just started franchising my fitness concept this year in the pandemic because I'm insane. And, um, <laughs> uh, I, I'm also running a different company, but the, I, the whole, the funny thing is, is that it wasn't until like, I knew I love coaching and, and like, I love fitness because I work out and all this other stuff. Right. However, um, the thing that I didn't learn about myself until later was that I was an intellectual and I always wondered why I never put a name to it. I never defined it. So it didn't really mean anything to me. I grew up in, I had two wonderful parents and I grew up in one of the poorest parts of Boston. Okay. The, the, we didn't talk about intellectual intelligentsia yeah. in our circles. It just, it's not that it would have never come up, but it's, Frankly, yeah. the, the, you know, there's a lot of smart people in my family, but they, I don't think they've ever tapped into their zone of genius either, their, their ability to be an intellectual. And so it was never a topic of conversation, but it's something I discovered. And my point is two decades later, and now I understand why this whole chain of custody of my brain over the two decades has led me to this point right now where I can talk to you and do a bunch of different other things. Um, but I, I, you're right. When there's clarity your vision becomes easier. I was faced with the thought that I'm in the, I'm in the fitness industry for two decades. Okay. So that's my on-ramp. So where's the off-ramp? What do I do? It's a very simple question, but it's a very deep question because it involves your life and many years of your life after you finish doing what you want to do. And I said to myself, well, I have multiple locations. Um, you know, we have good clientele. Um, who are on automatic payment. I have employees. I can go away. The business grows, blah, blah, blah. But I said, um, but what's the offer? Like, how do I, what's the next challenge? Cause I was getting bored. And if you're an intellectual, you typically get bored really fast and really severely. Um, and um, I, uh, so the franchise thing was great because I, I could combine two different passions, right? It was, I love coaching and not like coaching as in like, here are some reps do them. It was coaching. Like I can teach people how to run businesses and to scale their own business. Like I was into that. 
I started getting into the whole mental side of growing a business and I thought it was great. And, um, but I didn't uncover that until I, it became clear to me that my vision was to pursue scaling my business through franchising um, while I was building some other things. And now the mission is clear and my behaviors are even more clear. And what I want to do even after I grow and if I sell the business is even more clear to me because of my newly found clerical, uh, my clarity of uh, clarity of thought. So I appreciate what you're saying because this is something that is very hard to do. And it actually takes, well, for me, it took a lot of time because I didn't have an Amanda in my life. Um, <laughs> but like, you know, like, honestly, it's a, it's, it is not that easy to just clarify, right? It is a, it's almost like, I feel like it's associated with the part of your brain that, that, that feels torture because you kind of yeah. have to give up everything that you know and believe to kind of face this piece of yourself. Yeah. Yeah, I hear you. And I, I think it is one of the hardest things that people face, mm -hmm. you know, in life, in business, in both and all things where they go, I, people don't know what they want. Mm -hmm. They don't know how to detect what they most value. Mm -hmm. And, and it's because, you know, it's like what you're talking about. I think a lot of a shiny object syndrome and, but it, it's related to fear because shiny object syndrome is just FOMO. Right. Like you're like, I'm afraid I'm going to miss out if I don't do that. And if I refine and I cut things off, I'm going to miss out on all these other opportunities. Right, exactly. And what they don't realize is that their greatest freedom lies in cutting off a whole bunch of stuff. And so right. usually we think to improve ourselves, we need to add. And mm -hmm. actually often it's that we need to drop yep. things. And so it's, it's, it's a process. And, mm -hmm. you know, I, it's, it's, I agree with you. It's fun to work with myself on clarity and going like, what is it that I, and I get better and better and better at it. And then helping other people work through it helps me get better at seeing myself more clearly. And so, you know, for everyone watching or listening, I think it's important to remember, like, you're not alone. And it's, it's not like, you know, Mike and I have this mastered where every single day we just wake up amazingly brilliant and excellent at every single thing we do. It's a process, yeah, you know, like yeah, it's a process. Yeah, we wake up, we wake up <laughs> right? brilliant every day. Right. Yes. No, I mean, sorry, I'm joking. <laughs> but, but you know what I mean? You can see yeah, that way and also right. know like, oh, I'm in process always. Right. Oh like yeah. I'm, I'm never there wherever there is. I'm always growing and I'm always learning mm -hmm. and I'll have a thought like sometimes I love that you're talking to having a, the intellectual conversation about thinking like, oh, I'm an intellect and that's why I am the way I am. Because often I'll think like, wow, I change fast. Like sometimes from day to day, from hour to hour, I'm like, I'm a different person every hour mm -hmm. <laughs> because I learn so much every single day. Right. I mean, conversations like this, I have multiple of these a week and I get to work with people and reading and traveling and teaching and all the things. And I'm like, wow, I'm a different person on mm -hmm. a daily basis. And so mm -hmm. the things that I perceive change pretty consistently. Right. And so in that, I think that when you have that curious mind, it can get hard to develop a framework of thinking that's simple and step-by-step -step for mm -hmm. other people, because it's, there's so much in your mind, you know, so I could say for entrepreneurs, something that's been incredibly powerful for me to, when I say scale my business, you know, that definition is grow quickly and easily in a way that's exponential mm -hmm. and, and takes less and less of my energy and time input. Right. And, and so, you know, in that way, what that takes is having a simple model that more people can resonate with at an easy, simple level, because you have some sort of 
codified. And when I say codified, it's like a, a tangible framework for people to build on and to use to grow whatever right. it is that you're selling. Mm -hmm. And once I figured that out, and I'm, I'm in the works of creating all that now, you know, so it's like my money blocks profile was that. And as I refine in my, you know, my YouTube channel, it's like, oh, the topics get more and more refined. Mm -hmm. And, you know, mm -hmm. in the formulas I create, they get more and more refined. And it's right. just, it's been a process to learn. It's, it's been an amazing process. That was awesome. I could probably just watch you work and be completely entertained and fascinated <laughs> by that. I, I am, you know, I am, most people don't even understand. I am, a, I am intrigued by mastery. So um, that fascinates me. And, 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 and simple mastery as well. I could watch um, someone, for instance, who's a custodian, who was a master custodian, who knew how to wax the floor masterfully. I could watch them prep that and, and wax it for a little bit because I would just be fascinated by the fact that they have this unbelievable mastery of yeah. this particular thing that other yeah. people don't have and would do completely wrong. And it's a very simple thing. I'm sure for many people it sounds stupid, but like for me, it's mastery is so intriguing and we have too many people today. So the the drawback of having too much too much information to beat on people again the generation today is that people believe their masters before they even do the work that is connected to mastery and so although you may have the knowledge that equates to mastery mastery involves work it involves both work and knowledge and that is wisdom that is the culmination of, of wisdom in my mind mastery is wisdom applied of years of knowledge and practice that make you good at what you do and um, I, I would like to see more people that are legit masters today do their thing because they put this time in and as opposed to telling people what they are, you know, just stop. We'll tell you that you're a genius or you're a master. Like, don't tell us that you're, <laughs> that you're a master or a genius, you know? And I think that, that I think that the drawback of having so much information avail broadly available to you, ubiquitous, you could be, you could have, you could become a rocket scientist online now. Yeah. Without yeah. the credential, without the credential, of course, but you could know just as much as, you know, um, uh, what's the, the black guy that's famous now for that or whatever he is. I think he's a, for rap, for, I don't know. <laughs> physicist. I think he is, uh, you know, y'all know who I'm talking about. Black guy with like the small mini pro. Um, but anyways, um, you know, like it's so like, I just find that I, I would love to see like this generation, if they kind of reined in there and i get it like social issues so going back to way back when we first started talking like social issues they're important i think they're for some people not for everyone um some people would argue that they should be for everyone that's a three-hour podcast um on its own but i think that maybe um there needs to be some reflection on what do i have to do as an individual myself to to affect change in my domain of expertise, like you're saying. Mm -hmm. um, and then maybe you would affect more broad change if that's what your passion was um, once you became a master of what you're doing <laughs> versus not being yeah. a master yet and trying to push it or pull people in this direction. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's interesting when you're talking, I have like images coming into my mind and the image that came in when you said that is being a lever, like the yeah. power of a lever, uh -huh. right? So a lever, you know, you could have like the tiniest little thing leveraging so much weight, mm -hmm. let's say, and it's, you're the tiny lever 
by being so focused in your energy that then you get to influence a huge mass. Mm -hmm. And so that's how I like to think of it. You know, it's like, how can you leverage what you have in a really laser focused way to then make a huge impact in the world? Mm -hmm. And, and that's what really makes the huge difference. And most people do the opposite exactly like you're talking about. Yeah, no, that is, that's interesting. So, all right. I told you I can talk to you for like, <laughs> yeah. So this just means that I have to have you back on again because yes, <laughs> I am curious about you. Very curious. Um, take us through the money block profile in a, in a broad sense. And um, what we'll do is we will put a link, a direct link to this in our, in the description of both the YouTube. And if you're listening to this on the podcast, um, I'll put a dis- the, the link to the money block profile in the description. So just click on it and then it will take you where, to where you need to be. Um, and then uh, Dr. Amanda, we will have, I will have you back on again because we, there are more world's issues that we have to solve together in this podcast. <laughs> yes. Um, I like I'm, it. I'm interested in learning. Um, I want to nail down on more of your, even more of your approach, because I think that there's some things that I didn't get to um, that I, that I want to get to um, because uh, you fascinate me. I have to think about why I know why, but you do not sure. But anyways, get to your money block profile. thing. (laughs) Yeah. You know, so, so let's say this, what happened for me in developing the money blocks profile was that I had all the entrepreneurs that I was working with, write a money story Mm -hmm. and in the money story that I had them write, I'd walk them through a strategic approach, which now I have as an online course, because a lot of people are like, I want to do that. And not, I can't work with everybody one-on-one. And so Mm -hmm. as I was walking them through it, they, I noticed patterns. I'm like, oh, there's like some seriously similar, similar patterns over and over and over again. And as a sociologist, you know, I'm trained to see patterns. And so what I saw was, oh, you know, there's these ways of thinking about money and these, these consistent money blocks that keep showing up and over again. And so Mm -hmm. I detected, I I created a profile. It's a two minute quiz that within two minutes, you find your top money block. And now that's to say that at the moment, that'll be your current money block because everybody that I work with usually will have two or all three and, Mm -hmm. and they might just have one at the time and you never break through them to the point where they never show up again. So, you know, just like we were saying, growth is an ongoing journey. So are money blocks, because every time you bump up against a new version of yourself, you unfold and uncover and discover a new layer of yourself, which is going to be a new money block. So let's say, you know, you start a business, you're going to have a certain kind of money block. You break through the first level, like you're making, Oh, I had a, you know, a 10 K month new right. money block. Oh, now I'm getting closer to the hundred thousand dollar mark because it's consistent and you have a new money block or right. you get married and a new money block comes up or, you know, and I, so I don't want people to think like, Oh, you know, problem solved. The second I know my money block, what it right. is, is that it gives you that recognition. So you start to recognize your unconscious money blocks and your beliefs that are holding you back. And so the most common three, and they, I think of these as paradigm beliefs with a lot of thoughts underneath. So it's money is bad. Money is scarce and money causes stress. And these show up very specifically in different ways for entrepreneurs. So I could go deeper. Do you want me to tell you more about it? Or is that enough for now? <laughs> you know, I want you to tell me more. The, the problem is that the timing. My son has a my son has a band concert, so I have to run out. But oh, nice. like I want it. I well, I want it. I hmm, this should be a cliffhanger. And then I should have <laughs> you back on to dig deeper into them. All right. Yes. So so do me a favor, give me the three money blocks again. And then what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna set up the next podcast where I have you come back and we, and we drill down. So the three buckets are what money is bad. Money is scarce and money causes stress. 
And the question is, what are which bucket um, do you does your unconscious money mind put you in? Currently, my my own. No, not you. Uh, the people listening. The oh. People listening. Once you take this block profile, they'll know uh-huh. which bucket they're in. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. why don't we do this? Take the money block profile. We'll have you back on, and then we will have you answer um, and develop each one of those categories. And then people can take their profile and then listen to the next one that we have you on. And then we will drill down on what those mean for them. And then this will give them a very comprehensive view of how to begin the block, to begin the process of unblocking themselves while simultaneously swiping their credit card and working with you. Love it. Sounds great. <laughs> awesome. I like that plan. <laughs> <laughs> great. So, um, so, so this is great. So, um, so we're gonna stop here. We're gonna we're gonna put that money block profile in your in in this description of the podcast, and then um, on the description of the the uh, the YouTube video, and then in part two of my conversation with Dr. Amanda, we will dig in deeper to those buckets, and you will be able to understand how to break through and simultaneously book a session with her so you can work with her. Perfect. I can't wait to come back. We'll have, we'll have another session. You better schedule three hours next time. Three, I know. I know. Right. I literally had to run out, get my son a shirt for this band thing, and then come back here, record this podcast. Not gonna, now I have to actually go to the actual nice. concert. So this is, <laughs> we'll this enjoy. Is, have fun. I will. Uh, thank you for uh, joining me today. If you're listening to the show, don't forget um, that uh, go to www.nfamoney.com. That is Dr. Amanda's website. Also, the Money Block profile is Money Blocks Profile, blocks with the S, profile.com. Take your profile quiz, get your results, save your results, because when we come back in part two of our conversation, we're going to talk about each one of those buckets. And then um, we're going to dig more, deeper into her NFA money formula. Um, today was like a really, it was a nice psychology uh, discussion about money and kind of where people are. And I think that this is the conversations that need to happen open so that people can kind of form their own opinions about kind of where they position themselves. I appreciate your time. Thank you so much for your knowledge and contributing yeah, to the conversation. Thanks, thanks for having me on. Awesome. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of The Common Sense Show, hosted by Michael Logan. The producer for The Common Sense Show is Paul Logan. To reach out to Micah and the Common Sense Show, talk to us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just search the Common Sense Show. And if you enjoy the show, please don't forget to rate and or review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Thank you for listening.